Mike test one. Ah, there we go. And they didn't come, they can't, they didn't play today with this dress. They looking good. <laughs> Heather was getting dressed. I said, girl, go on and do your dang thing. Now come on. Amen, amen. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day good to morning, all the everybody. mamas. Um, and happy Mother's Day to those who are not mamas, but mother people in the God Christ way that God has given you and gifted you with. So thank you to all the mamas. Thank you to all the motherly. And uh, thank you to all those in the waiting, right, in the expecting. Um, Today also isn't a day, maybe if you lost your mother, right? It's, it's a harder day, right? And so we just want to celebrate any way that you've been influenced in a way that God has created in mothers or people who have mothered you along the way. And so I um, have this wonderful, beautiful ladies next to me. And today we want to just have a transparent conversation about motherhood right? Um, mom life. It's gangster, right? How many gangsters we have in the house? <laughs> yeah. Woo -woo. <laughs> uh, and so sometimes motherhood can represent heartache, right? Sometimes it's joyful. Sometimes it's strength. Um, but what unifies us today is that we've all been mothered, even the men in here, right? It's, and I've had someone who was motherly, and I've had a mother or a grandmother or somebody that's been influential in your life. And so I want, or I get the opportunity to introduce our incredible panel of um, women and what mothering looks like to them and in the season that they've been um, mothered, right? And so Dr. Heather Cadell. <laughs> They always try to throw pastor in front, and I'm always like, I didn't go to school for that. <laughs> Leave that off. But, um, yeah, so I'm Brent's wife, and uh, I think that, you know, we want to just, you know, we all have such a different experience and a different role, so we want to talk a little bit about that. But um, So I'm a physician, um, so I have a busy outside of the house, um, you know, job. And I have with two girls, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And um, the six-year-old is super easy and the three-year-old is not. So we've had to, I thought I was a really good mom with our first one. I was like, why do people think this is hard? I got this. And then I just realized she was like exceptionally easy. So it was not my parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was actually a, the baby of the family. My mom was, was kind of the oops in her 40s, the surprise baby that came along. And so we are um, entering a different phase of my life with my mom. Um, but man, I, I mean, thinking about growing up and being mothered, what that meant was my mom, she also worked outside the house. Her and my dad ran a business and she was a super strong, independent woman, um, and, but in, in all ways, and one of those was actually in her faith as well. So she was the one that made sure we went to church every Sunday. And she was the one that made sure that we, you know, were knew about the Bible and we were Catholic, so we didn't read the Bible at home. And I would say that one of the things that was different in the way that we're raising our kids and from what she did with, with us was we didn't really pray together. Um, she prayed, she had... I mean, I saw her pray so much. We were joking. So she she's now has Parkinson's and dementia. And so we literally this weekend moved her into an assisted living facility. And uh, it's it's been a rough weekend. It was hard. And so during some, she was really confused yesterday. And I was laying next to her in bed because she just wanted to like 
reach over and hold my hand. So we were there for a few hours and she was trying to kind of nap and she would kind of come out of it and was really confused. And then she'd come out in this like lucid moment and talk about, um, Bryn kept joking with her because we brought what we called her prayer chair to the um, her little apartment with her. And it's this wingback chair that I remember every night or early in the morning, she would religiously, no matter how, um, tired she was or busy she was, she would sit there and she would say her prayers. Like, um, and, and that was just something I remember. I remembered she was diligent about that. There was never a time that she missed. She's oftentimes fell asleep in that chair. So that chair went with her. And so Brent was joking. He was like, man, how many prayers have you prayed in that chair? And she didn't really get it. And she kind of like stared off into space and we were like, okay, that's, that didn't fall right. But then she kind of came out of it while she's laying there next to me. And she joked, she was like, do you remember they used to make fun of me because I'd be the person with a flashlight under the covers. And I was like, what are you talking about, mom? You know, and then I realized she was talking about when we would go to hotels or we would be on family trips or anything, we we made fun of her because she would underneath the covers, because we're all in the same room, pray and had her little flashlight reading her prayers or saying her rosary. And she was right. She was known as that. So she showed me that strength. But, um, you know, we didn't, talk about it. It didn't become a super real part of my life as a child. I definitely saw that she was strong. Um, you know, it was awesome. We, you know, we, we had a lake house and I remember we used to go to the lake on the weekends and looked forward to it. Um, and it was super fun, but we had to be back on Sunday to go to church, number one. And number two, she stayed inside and did work the entire time. And I remember like, this is awesome. But I would go in and ask her to come out and play. And she was like, I have to finish the books because she did the accounting. And so she's like, I have to, I'm sorry, I have to do this. And I remember, you know, being bitter about that, that even though she was showing me a really strong, you know, ability to be able to be a mom and to work and to run a business, um, you know, it was lacking a little bit in the attention that was there. Yeah, and I I think that's a lot of moms, right? Especially today, right? Yeah. It's like, what do you choose, career? Do you choose this, right? But in those forma- formation years, she's teaching you Christ and kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're learning takeaways, right. balance of like, how do I now use that and yeah. raise my children? That's awesome. Um, Pastor Faith, what is um, growing up and display of what mothering look like and mother motherhood looks like now yeah yeah so I am a mother of four a beautiful children I have a 15 so my children are a little bit older um I started a lot younger so my children are 15 13 10 and 8 um I'm trying to remember their ages but but yeah I mean and so my Wait, mother did you do all four right I did all four I think um my mothering, uh, growing up as a child, was was a little different. My mom had me when she was 15, so she was a teenager herself. Um, but I think when we were talking about, like, how are we mothered, I think the common thing we all came up with was strong. My mother is strong. She's, like, a fierce woman, and she was, like, a hard worker. Um, obviously, she was young and had to shift her entire life to now take care of me. But, um, but yeah, so I think the journey for me and my being mothered by my mom was I saw what life was like without Christ and, and then I saw 
in my latter years, as I got older, she rekindled her relationship with Jesus, and then I saw the transformation real time. Um, now, was it perfect after she rekindled her relationship and we started going to church? And all? No, actually, it was probably a lot harder because I was used to life one way, and then it completely changed. She's like, now we're going to start going to church, and we're going to start doing all these things when growing up, I was that was never a part of our rhythm. And so... Um, so, yeah, I think my mom is a hard worker. She worked the graveyard shift. So all I ever remember from my mom is, like, she would work all night, get home, wake us up to get us ready for school, and start all over. Drop us off at school, pick us up. She always had the house taken care of. She was um, always had some a hot meal on the table. Um, but I think because my mom carried so much responsibility uh we saw a lot of dysfunction in her parenting i think her anger and resentment from what she experienced when she was younger bled out into her motherhood and so it was really hard um my mother was angry and frustrated and i always felt like don't talk to mom don't ask mom the question because she's got a lot on her plate so we're gonna figure it out with me and my sister and so that was really hard um and we felt that and so i think um but like i said later on when when we saw that she transformed her life it, it was I understood. I started to understand the tra and see the transformation that God was doing. And it wasn't on her part. Um, it wasn't within her power. It was all on God. And God worked through her. And uh, healing started to happen with me and my siblings. And so we really saw that transformation full circle. And now that I'm a mom of four, she's the greatest grandma in her goal in life is to see us and her grandkids serve the Lord wholeheartedly. She wants that like abundant life for us. And she will go to the ends of the earth to make sure that happens with however, whatever we need at whatever time of day, um, that that's who my mom is today. So, and that y'all all go to church and yeah. you're plugged into church. Yeah. 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 Um, that's awesome. Uh, it's, it's funny how our perspective is of mom as a little kid looking at them, right? Like, hey, I'm here, mom. <laughs> Did you see me? You know, um, because there, there isn't a, uh, a first round and then I'm going to go be a mom, right? right? You don't get this practice round <laughs> and then I'm going to be a mom. Um, mom, mothering for me looked totally different, right? Um, I am one of 12. So I have seven brothers and four sisters. So that's already all a novella, right? And that's like, <laughs> how are you even here, girl? <laughs> um, and so um, it was definitely fun. There was a huge dynamic and lots of personality um, growing up <laughs> with that. Um, but I think in, in the formation years, my mom was a woman of God. She was a woman who um, prayed quietly, right? She um, had a relationship with God, but she never shared that with us, right? What the perspective I saw is that she was absent, that she wasn't there. Um, I remember um, playing sports and having um, a parents' night, and, oh, can you be my mom today? Because my mom couldn't make it, you know? And in those big moments that I thought were huge, she wasn't there, right? And um, so mothering to me looked like a coach, a teacher, a friend, a friend's mother, right? I was like, why is my mom not like you? Can you be my mom, you know? Um, but 
always with God's intention. And even then, I immaturely thought, like, where's God at if, if I have purpose, right? Um, but God's intention through these people that were mothering me were celebrating me, caring for me, speaking potential into my life, um, embracing the unknown of what I thought I was going to, you know, bloom into. I thought, oh, no, I'm one of 12. I don't have these circumstances to be able to pivot into something successful because how, who, where, if my mom is this, right? Um, but through the heart of God for us and the beauty of his intention for me, I was mothered by these incredible people. You know, in college, I had uh, mentors. My mom didn't go to school past eighth grade, so there was a lot of disconnection because she didn't have a understanding of me. I was very loud and social and I wanted to ask questions and ask people and meet people and um, she would just like stop talking get over here why are you being over there you know and so there was a huge disconnect between us and she just um, found herself um, busy all the time which looked absent to me growing up right and so um, I'm reminded of God's intentionality for all of us in our formation years with Isaiah 46, 4. It says, I have made you, I will carry you, I will sustain you, and I will rescue you, right? Yeah, you know, and instilling that principle in the people that mothered me, I knew that God was at the center of every person that he put in the journey along the way. In my most broken formation years, mm -hmm. I now see how God was so present in that, you know. And uh, Pastor Faith says all the time, you know, it takes a village to raise kids, right? It's not easy to put that weight on one person. And I believe that that was my mother's prayer, that somebody would love me along the way, that somebody could connect with me along the way, that someone would talk as fast as me along the way. Um, because I don't think that she had the capacity at that time to do it. But I blamed a lot of that. And I pointed a lot of that on God and why I shouldn't be here. Why was I born? I have no purpose. But along the way, the, these people that were mothering me were reassuring me that I had purpose, that I was born on purpose for a purpose, and that I had life abundantly. And I, I mentioned it in the previous service, but shameless plug, and I'll say it again, those who serve in children's ministry and youth ministry, or if you're part of the church in general and you play a role in the life of a kid, Maria is a product of that, right? I mean, she didn't get everything from mom, but it was like those mentors yeah. and individuals in her life. And a kid will never understand how significant and loved they are until they meet an adult who knows, who can tell them how significant yes. and loved they are because of the love of Jesus. And so 100% next generation stepping in is just detrimental to the development you know yeah. in our formation years yeah the first time that I felt loved I was in third grade and my third grade teacher she just received me and I was like hi Miss Gucci and she's like hi Maria and she hugged me and the hug I don't know if you've ever had like a mom hug from like a spiritual mom a friend a sister someone who's not your mother and th that embrace I still can smell her and feel how tight she like embraced me and I just bawled I cried and cried she's like are you okay and I'm like I think I'm fine I don't know what's happening you know and and that day forward I said I'll never hug somebody again because <laughs> I don't ever want to feel like that again and then I thought man what's wrong with me you know but I 
it, it stunted me to feel true embrace of what love felt like. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, for moms, it's it's this transition from a new identity, right? Um, I mean, do you remember when you brought Amaris home for the first time or Noah home and you went from not just Faith, not just Maria, but now adding in this new title of mom, like, that shift, like, what did you feel? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's one thing when after you have the baby, right, you're like, oh, my gosh, I remember just looking at her and all I could feel was this, like, emotion and all I could do was cry and I'm looking at her and I'm looking at Sunny I'm like oh my gosh this beautiful baby is ours but then when we go home I'm like oh my gosh what do we do with her I don't know what to do let's call our moms to help I mean it really it's because it's scary it's like cool I was you know I had you in my womb for nine months but now you're my responsibility to raise these this little human and it definitely shifts Everything you thought was, no, it's no longer. It's no longer about you. Um, it's about this child and how you're going to raise it and, and love it. I remember telling Brent, like, when we brought Ellis home, when we had so many doubts about if we're doing anything right, and every little thing was, like, such a big deal. It was like, what? Do we do a pacifier? Do we not do a pacifier? What diaper do we, you know, all the things. And I remember looking at him and being like, people do this every day. We can yeah. do it. Like, yeah. Yeah. we're not any less educated or less able. Like, people keep babies alive all the time. Yeah. She may look like a hot mess, but she's going to be alive. Yeah, no, 100%. I um, totally lost myself afterwards. You know, I have had my bachelor's degree, my master's degree. I was strong. Even for a little bit in my pregnancy, I had um, prego brain. I almost fired two people. It's a real thing. Yeah, I almost fired two people because I was like, they didn't call in? Man, that's true. Well, I'm writing up their, you know, uh, termination letters. And so I called their, like, counselor um, next door neighbor person. And I'm like, hey, have you seen so-and-so today? And they're like, no. I'm like, dang, I'm going to have to fire her. All right. And then I just like, well, let me check my emails, you know. And I was like, oh, my gosh. She did let me know, you know. I hit a couple parked cars and you know, all that stuff. But... Uh, <laughs> You it, still do that. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it stunted me. I remember being so absent, like, who am I? What's happening with me? I went and got my degrees framed and paid, like, $250 so that I could remember. I was smart at one point. At some point. <laughs> These kids are taking everything from me, you know? Uh, <laughs> so how do you take, like, those things we talked about with our moms, right? You know, your mom not being the present, the, being the absent mom or not giving you that love feeling the way that we think of it? How do you take the things that happened as we were being mothered and how do you change that with your kids today? Are there things that you do specifically? Yeah, so, so growing up for me, I struggled with knowing who I was, knowing my worth, my validation, my identity yeah. because I was never told, you're beautiful, I wanted you, you're important. And it stunted me early on because I thought, she don't want me. I was her first daughter. And she just didn't show me that nurturing kind of love, right? And I desired it so badly from her. So I remember now, right, as an adult, as a, I don't want to be like my mom, everybody says, right? Um, we do affirmations with Noah and Nathaniel, right? Noah is six and Nathaniel is four and our affirmations with them is you know you're strong you are smart you are secure you are steady and you are a child of God 
right? And they're little men growing up, right? But they're going to be husbands. They're going to be fathers one day. And it may be to a daughter, right? But they need to know how important and secure and affirm they are as early as you can. We started that when I was pregnant with them, you know? And so they'll tell you on their way to school, Mama, I'm secure, I'm steady, I'm a child of God. And uh, Noah, our six-year-old, he thinks he's the Hulk. So when he says, I'm strong, he even like roars. And I'm like, not that kind of strong because the muscles ain't going to do nothing. (laughs) We need you to be strong in your mind, strong in discipline, strong in responsibility, you know. And I think those affirmations confirm not only that we love them, but that God loves them and that they are a child of God and that they will never steer from the word of God because we've planted and rooted and we pivot every situation through you are a child of God. Yeah, we I we focus a lot on reforming the words that we use also, like whether it's from negativity to positivity or, you know, I so I'm, I'm a physician, I'm an OBGYN, so I get to deliver babies, which is really cool. It's a piece of my job. And so I, there's times where I leave in the middle of the night. There's times where I'm oftentimes leaving really early in the morning to do surgery or have to go in early. And in the very beginning, there was a lot of times where I would tell the girls, like, mommy's got to go to work. And they're always so, you know, want me there in the morning to do the mom stuff, like do their hair in the morning. And Brent still has not figured it out. So our daycare, they do the girl's hair and they come out with like 5,000 ponies, you know, and I'm like, thank you for doing that for my children. Um, But he's actually out of town next week. And Ellis, this morning when she woke up, she was like, mommy. It's, it's tomorrow that daddy leaves. And I was like, yes, tomorrow that daddy leaves. She was like, yes. And I was like, why are you so happy that dad's going to be gone? And she was like, because it means we get to be with you all week. And you're going to take us to school. And you're going to do my hair. And you're going to pick us up every day. Except for one day when Maria is. But um, I was like, yes. And so they're just so excited just to be with me. And so I've had to change the way, reframing the words that I use you know, because our words have power and that sticks with them. And so instead of saying like, mommy has to go to work, I really have tried to include them in that and say like, mommy gets to go. I have a really cool job. Mommy gets to help mommies become mommies. And so now when I come home every day, they think I'm at the hospital every day, which I'm not. But every day they come home, they're like, how many babies did you deliver? Was it a boy or a girl? What's their name? So if I'm on call and it's like 13 deliveries, I have to write every name down. Or I'm like, they ask me and I walk in and I've been up for 24 hours and I'm like, Sarah, Jonathan, Crystal, Flower. Like, you know, I'm just making up names. That's beautiful. But um, so Faith, I don't know. How does it, what do you do with your kids? So so my kids are a little bit older, right? So I have teenagers and uh, they are quick to call me out on literally anything that I do. I'm not looking forward to that. And they don't care who's around. Yeah, they don't care who's around. And so I just think for me, I have to ensure, so my children, they, they always remind me that they are my first ministry. They're my first disciples, right? Before I can come over here and encourage people yeah, yeah. And, and do all the things, I have to make sure that what I'm doing outside of my home matches what I'm doing inside my home. Yeah. And so they watch. They get to see what I'm doing, what I'm saying, how I'm responding. And so I'm constantly trying to make sure that, okay, like just taking moments to be like, okay, I'm good, I got this. Or um, I think one thing is, you know, as parents, we make a lot of mistakes, but that's okay. But I think the the biggest thing is making sure you're you're letting your kids know that, hey, I'm sorry. You're saying, I I think we underestimate what 
I'm sorry means to a kid if I mess up or if I do something that I shouldn't, that I'm quick to apologize um, because it creates opportunity because everything's a teachable moment, right? And so I think... um, yeah, just making sure that I'm I'm not just teaching them, but I'm modeling it at home for them so that they can see um, we're human. Yeah, yeah, we go to church. Yeah, we do all the things, but we're, we're human and we mess up. But um, when I just refocus it back to God and lean on him to refuel me and um, rewire me, like it's, yeah. it's powerful for them to be able to see that. Yeah, I, and I think that's powerful, right? I think... Um, I learned early on in my faith that I have to know what God says about me, right? Because I think I blamed my mom for a lot of years for a lot of things because I didn't know what God said I was. I didn't know the promises that God had over my life that my mom didn't say or I didn't verbally hear from her that it put her in a perspective of failure, right? Instead of me learning early on what God says and the promises of God. And so that's why it's so important. Because I am going to fail Noah and Nate. I think I probably have already a few times. <laughs> um, but God's never going to fail them. And God's word is true. It's healing. It's restoration. It's everything that they need. So when I fail, they know that they still have God. I think that transition into motherhood is is such a natural but such a hard transition. And I think that... It's also something that looks really different for so many people. You know, oftentimes just the journey to becoming pregnant is not what we pictured, whether it's sooner than we expected, whether it takes a lot longer than we expected. An infertility journey is one that, you know, is, it's hard to talk about and it's, it's a hard day to, to be talking about Mother's Day. Sometimes we've lost a mother. Um, sometimes, you know, we have kids and they're, they have disabilities or they have needs beyond what we thought that we could provide, but God gives us a way to provide that. Um, sometimes a pregnancy, you know, is a wonderful thing and it's in this perfect timing that we think, but we either lose our partner in that relationship and we're single moms. Um, you know, we lose our spouse, we're widows. So there's so many pieces to that puzzle that's so hard. So when it doesn't look like the way we pictured it to look, we have to you know, reestablish that, that strength in God, that he's created us for this. And in Psalm 61, two, it says, when my heart's overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. And I had, have the joy of watching women become moms. And, um, I got to witness somebody in our church, Rosie, Rosie and David, and uh, their journey, um, has been with unimaginable obstacles in becoming a family. And, Rosie has shown so much grace and so much faith in walking these steps of motherhood. And she's going to share her story with us. Becoming a mom felt like something I wasn't going to get to do. I was at a point in my life where I wasn't even sure that I was going to be married. It was something I wanted, but it hadn't happened I was in my 30s and I felt like I didn't fit in with my single friends who were in their 20s. I didn't fit in with my friends that were already married because I wasn't married. And so while I had a good life and enjoyed my life, I felt like there's these things I want for it that aren't happening. And so when I met my husband, David, 
it was like, oh, this is finally coming together. And I even thought having kids might take us some time and, and know we were very fortunate and, you know, got pregnant with Lily and had a, the best pregnancy, did all the typical things new parents do, newlyweds as well. So we were newlyweds and we were also getting ready to become parents. And we both kind of just said, we're up for this journey. And we bought all the things and prepared in all the ways we, you know, thought we could. And when we had her, it took five hours. Um, you know, she came very fast and we had four weeks at home with her until one day her breathing seemed off and out of just an abundance of caution, we decided to take her to her pediatrician and we left the pediatrician's office in an ambulance um, to the ER because they at the time weren't sure what was happening, but they suspected that she might be going into heart failure. We called David, he was completely blindsided. I remember I'm in the ambulance and he runs up to the ambulance and just looks at me. And the way that we both looked at each other, I will never forget because we were both like, what is happening? Just absolute confusion. Later that evening, a cardiologist explained to us that Lily was going into heart failure and that she might need to be placed on life support. She was no longer my little baby in her little clothes because she went in looking like a typical baby and within hours de declined to where her body lost its color, her temperature declined. So they spoke to us about the next step, which was transporting her to Houston where she could be treated. That's where we learned that her diagnosis was um, dilated cardiomyopathy, which can strike at any moment. There's no genetic way of testing for that in the womb. We left our home, we left our belongings, we left our family, relocated to Houston within 48 hours. But we moved through the process of listing her for transplant. We waited about six months. She went through her first open heart surgery. That was a milestone moment. And I think at that point, the community around me there in the hospital helped me to understand that my milestone moments were going to be different from another mom's. And so when I answer, they sound different than first steps or um, we took her to the park or, you know, taking her outside after so many months of not being able to and having her like, look at like the sun. <laughs> Sorry. That was a milestone We got the call one night that um, right after Thanksgiving, our friends had just been up, our family had just been over, and that was when I received the call. They had found a, a donor for her, and it, I think to us, was the ultimate surrender. Everything at that point, we had thought we'd given up control, and when we reached that point, it was complete surrender to whatever the next step was, and I, I truly believe that God really prepared our hearts for that and we went into it knowing that this this was the right next step. The surgery was about 12 hours and I would say within two or three days just began to come back to herself, was extubated. We spent two months post-transplant and 
Houston, and then we were able to come home to San Antonio. And so in time, I realized, okay, my, my child doesn't need another doctor. She just needs me to be her mom. And David and I began playing the healing scriptures for her. We, we do that even still to today, putting anointing oil on her, things that when I was little, I didn't under, understand why people did. And I probably even foolishly at some point thought they were silly or old fashioned. And I remember saying, no, Lord, your word says that it goes out from your mouth and it does not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose. And I just kept saying, you know, over and over. And I remember thinking, my faith hasn't changed. I still believe, if not even more now than ever, the same things about the Lord. I just understand them differently. I know a different side of Him. Before Lily, I knew the Lord as a provider. In my single life, He provided. When I met David and my husband, I knew the Lord as matchmaker. And now with Lily, I know Him as healer. So I think the, the, you know, the power of prayer and, and one thing I think everyone can agree on in this room is that we will never be perfect parents. We will never be perfect mentors, but I can tell you right now, we will be praying parents. I think prayer is one of the most profound things that we can do as moms, as mentors, as, as adults and the role of a child. Um, prayer is so powerful and um, we won't ever be perfect, but we can be prayer warriors and I think I think we underestimate how much God wants to hear our prayers for our kids every single day and I'll share it real quick um when I was a teenager I went through a rebellious stage right because nobody has ever done that before Not Pastor Faith. <laughs> and uh, I was a junior in high school and I did all the things under the sun that you would never want your child Don't to tell do. her kids I'm not going to tell you all the things <laughs> but I I ran away for two weeks from my mom and my stepdad and years later, obviously, came back, re, um, rekindled that relationship with my parents. But my mom, to this day, has never told me. It, was, it wasn't until I had conversations with friends and family that, that they said, hey, I don't know if you ever knew, but your mom, every day, for those two weeks that you were gone, she didn't know where you were. She didn't know what you were doing. But she got on her knees every morning and night and texted a few of us to pray for you. And for me, I'll always remember that. My mom's never told me that. So we never know what the things that our parents or our guardians or our mentors are doing behind closed doors where we will never see. And so I think that's, that's powerful. Absolutely. And maybe right now that's the season that you're in, right? Maybe you're in a prayerful season for your child, for your nephew, for your niece, and you're still waiting, right? But know that there is a God that once you say, you know, that he's looking, he's looking to guide you in his love, in his grace, in his mercy through your prayer. It does not go void, right? And so we're, we come in agreement to your prayer, whatever you're praying, if you're mothering or if you're the mother to that person. I, t I talk about my mom and the perspective that I had on her and the finger that I pointed to her for years. And um, a couple years ago, I had this vision. My, my mom and I, we started a relationship when I was 23. I was coming to the Lord, and 
first thing I'm praying, okay, God, how do I get right with you? He's like, forgiveness. I'm like, can we do that one later? Like, I really, like, let's, let's talk about some other ones, you know. Um, but it was forgiveness first, and it was forgiving my mom, which was huge, right? And I had this vision of her, and she's, I'm looking outside of a house through a window, and in the window, she's sitting there, and the house is still, and all 12 of her little babies are asleep, and she's just bawling, you know, and as a mother, how many silent cries have we had? as mothering and mentoring someone that you don't know, but you know that they're in trouble and they're going into a home that's not safe. You're home praying in your quiet prayer time. And where I thought my mom was absent, where I thought God was absent, he was so present. And my mom cried by herself and she prayed by herself, but I didn't know that, right? Cause she didn't share that with me. But in this vision, I thought, wow, I had a credible mom. But I had incredible mothering people that shared that role with her. As I grew up, I have four younger sisters. We partnered in mothering my sisters, right? And I was able to be the voice, the cheerleader, the support. And my mom was able to be the mom, right? With responsibility and strength and bravery. I was the one that was fun and let's go here and let's do these things. But my mom allowed me that space to help mother my sisters too. Yeah, and I think sometimes <clears throat> our prayers don't get answered in the timing that we expect or how fast we want, but, you know, they don't go void. And, you know, we think about what Pastor Brent talked about last week about Noah and the ark and that rain had literally never fallen from the sky before. And it took 120 years for it to finally happen and for Noah to not look completely psychotic um, in this ark that he's yeah, building, yeah, right, yeah. to save a generation. Um, and we think about Elizabeth, you know, she was she was barren and she prayed for a child and she was, in, she was 88 years old when she gave birth to John the Baptist. And so she was in menopause, right? She was past childbearing ages yeah. or age. And there was a purpose and a timing to that because it was supposed to be that John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jesus. So he had to be his contemporary. He had to be born in that same time frame. And Mary was a teenager when she had Jesus. And so she couldn't, you know, 30 years before Mary wasn't even here yet. So there was a purpose and a timing in that. But had she, do you think she maybe had some wavering thoughts of giving up on that prayer that she had had for so many years at that time had passed her? It's, you know, Prayer has power, yeah, and and yes. if we have to have faith that it's gonna, his promises will will hold true. Second right. Corinthians twelve nine, it says, "My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong." And I think um, we allow comparison to get in the way of that, like of completely leaning on. God to, to get us through. It's like, oh, your story is very different than mine, or you had a really great upbringing and I didn't. And I think that is not what God intended. Comparison is paralyzing. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it isn't going to happen until we can stand on two feet solid today saying, hey, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to live that way. Um, 
the enemy can use comparison to paralyze us, but until we stand up and declare right now that we choose the abundant life and we have a next generation that we're pouring into every single uh, day of our lives, really, right? Um, And so we have Amaris, who's a young girl um, that we are raising up and she does so happen to be my daughter, but she's gonna come out and um, share how no longer we should be living in comparison, but we live because God wants us to have this like abundant life. And so Amherst is gonna come out and share that. Hi. Um, If I were the enemy and I couldn't actually thwart God's plans for your life, I would use fear, comparison, and insecurity as tools to keep you from experiencing abundance. I will not let really I I will not let the really beautiful days of my life be overshadowed by these. I am ready to experience my days as God made me to, full of love, expectancy, not fear. I declare the ground he's given me blessed and good, not looking to the left or the right in anxious comparison. I am ready to spend my days believing in God's capacity in my life instead of partnering with feelings of insecurity and inadequacy. As if it was with as if it was my power accom- that accomplished anything. The enemy thought he could use fear and comparison and insecurity to confuse me, but instead I know these are the days of abundance. Very good. Thank you, Amaris. So we're gonna go ahead and close in prayer. Um, But as we close in prayer, I hope and pray that you can take something from this and remember that on the good days and the hard days, that 100% what we do every single day and the children that God has entrusted with this, entrusted us with is 100% ministry. And so I hope today that you can take something away, whether you're still in the dreaming phase of being a mom or you lost your mom or you're on the journey of motherhood alone without a spouse, whatever your journey looks like today, um, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and pray. God, we come to you in prayer today. We, we pause and we just want to recognize and honor the beautiful women in our life, our mothers. Nobody can do the things like a mom can do, God. So whether we have a mom or we're missing our mom or we don't have the greatest relationship with our mom because of the formation years as we look back to the dysfunction that we experienced in life. It hinders us from moving forward and being able to parent better. So in this moment, we release that to you, God. Whatever our heartache looks like, may we run to you when we need strength and not to anything else, not to a book, not to a person, not to a therapist, but we run to you because we know your word is true and we stand firmly on that, God. As we walk away today, God, that we shift our perspective on who you are, that you're just not a good God, but you're a healer, you're a restorer, you're a miracle maker, you're a matchmaker, you're a father, that we so desperately need your comfort and embrace, God. I thank you for the women in our life. As we walk out of this space today, that we text them, maybe we haven't talked to them in a while, whether that's a sister or a Thea or whatever role that is, that we honor them today. And we're only able to do that because the power of you, the transformation work that you're happening, that's, that's happening real time in this moment inside of our hearts, God. We're so grateful for your goodness in our life. 
Help us to see the big picture. Pull us back 500 feet, God. Help us see the big picture that you have, the plan that you have for our life, and the plan that you have for our children's life, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, and we choose joy today. In Jesus' name we pray, everyone says, amen. 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 Wow. Amen. Let's give it up one more time for these amazing ladies. Yes. I mean, today coming in, I wasn't expecting to be in no. full-blown tears no. for this message, but golly, I was super honored to hear what these amazing women had to say. And with that, we want to hear your story. Yeah. So log into our website. There's a button that says, tell us your story. So make sure you do that today, whether it's on Facebook, yeah. Instagram, or through our website, we want to get to connect with you. Tag us. We want to see it. We yes. want to read it. <laughs> well, hey guys, now is that time of giving in the house today. If it is your first time, in no way, shape, or form are we asking you to give, but this service is our gift to you. But if you call yourself an owner in the house, this is your time. So behind me on the screen, you'll see the three ways that you can give here today. And while you're getting ready, I just wanted to tell an incredible moment that happened last week. Last week was Teacher Appreciation yes. Week. Mm -hmm. So give it up. Yeah, yeah give it, it up amazing. for all the teachers. <laughs> yes. So we got the incredible opportunity. We've been partnering with Pershing Elementary for the last four years now. And so we got to take out a sushi truck um, out to campus with them and not only serve the teachers, but all of the staff there at Pershing Elementary. And so it was just a great time to get to love on them and just support them because it's been a rough, uh, rough few <laughs> years, okay? Um, so if you know a teacher, tell them you love them, okay? Um, but none of that was possible without your obedience and generosity and giving today. Um, and so let us go ahead and pray over the offering right now. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the obedience in the hearts of each one of your followers here today. We love you so much, and we just ask that you show us new opportunities and new ways um, that we can love on your community and those around us. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before you go, just a few announcements. Make sure you take a photo at the photo op right yes, outside. It's real grab cute. a paleta, mm -hmm. grab some sweets, and have a happy Mother's happy Day. Happy Mother's guys. Day, guys. <laughs> <laughs>